When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Some people can really get into something, especially at the beginning. Those who are new to fixing up cars or close-up magic or CrossFit can be downright zealous about their latest obsession to anyone and everyone who would listen to them. People like Simeon Stylites. Born and raised by a poor shepherd family in Turkey in 390 AD, Simeon got way into Christianity when he was only 13 years old. The Roman Empire had officially adopted the religion less than 100 years before, so many folks were just discovering it for the first time. Simeon had been entranced by a sermon on the Beatitudes, and only a few short years later, he left his family to join a monastery. Now, Simeon didn't do anything halfway. If he was going to adopt Christianity as his own personal religion, then he was going to go all in, which he did. He took it so seriously and lived in such an austere and pauper-like manner that even the other monks thought that he had gone overboard. For example, Simeon once holed up in a small hut where several monks eventually discovered him unconscious with palm fronds wrapped around his midsection as a form of self-punishment. They tended to his wounds, but they didn't believe that he would fit in with the rest of the community, and so they asked him to leave the monastery for good. Shunned by the people who should have accepted him, he traveled to a small hermitage and gave up eating and drinking for Lent. When he finally emerged, still alive, the people believed that it was a miracle, and Simeon had gained a following. He set out on his own, doing the best he could to tamp down his physical urges and live the life he believed God wanted him to. And the more he did so, the more that others wanted to learn from him. They followed him wherever he went, asking for advice and help with their problems. But Simeon needed peace and quiet, so he climbed what is known today as the Sheik Barakat Mountain and found himself a modest dwelling in a narrow space just big enough for one person, himself. Sadly, even that wasn't far enough away for him to go. It didn't take long for his disciples to track him down and harass him for answers and prayers. Simeon didn't have any time for the studying and praying that he needed to do for himself. So he kept walking until he stumbled across a pillar in the town of Telenissa in Syria. He climbed up the pillar and laid down a platform on which he sat all day and night. Local children often climbed up to give him bread and goat's milk to keep him fed. It was also believed that a pulley system was devised so that he could raise and lower the necessary sustenance himself. The Christian elders who lived nearby heard about Simeon's life on the pillar, and they didn't get it. They wanted to make sure that his particular brand of asceticism was being practiced for the right reasons, so they met him and ordered him to come down. 
If he refused, then they would go up there and get him by force. But if he relented and came down voluntarily, then he could stay. He agreed to humbly vacate the pillar, and the elders were satisfied, so they let him remain where he was. But he didn't stay up there for long. He wasn't just a hermit, he was more like a hermit crab, constantly looking for larger pillars to accommodate his needs. His first pillar measured about 10 feet tall. By the time he was done, though, his final pillar reached a soaring height of 50 feet. He called those pillars home for the next 37 years. They were where he prayed, fasted, and eventually died. His body was found by one of his disciples hunched in prayer and soon taken down to be buried just a short distance from the pillar. So there you have it. St. Simeon Stylites may not have been understood by Christian leaders and elders, but those who followed his teachings certainly believed in his methods. After his death, other ascetics started living their lives high above the earth on similar structures. Perhaps they believed they could get closer to God that way. Or maybe, like Simeon, they just needed a break from all the noise down below. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Everyone has a comfort food, something they indulge in when the world has gotten them down or the workday has been too long. It might be a banquet of tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwiches on a chilly fall day or a slice of chocolate cake as a midnight snack. But unlike most of us, one woman had a comfort food that she invented for herself, and that creation changed the world. Ruth was born in East Walpole, Massachusetts in 1903. After attending a local household art school, she became a high school home economics teacher where she taught students, mostly women, 
how to cook and sew. In addition, Ruth worked in a hospital as a dietitian and even as a service director for a local utility company. She kept busy, eventually marrying her husband Kenneth in 1926 and having two children, a boy and a girl. However, in 1930, Ruth and Kenneth jumped headfirst into a brand new endeavor. Perhaps she wanted to be more than a home ec teacher or a hospital dietitian, or maybe she just wanted the joy of working for herself. Whatever the reason, the couple purchased a Cape Cod-style tourist lodge in Whitman, Massachusetts, about 40 minutes from where she was born. It had originally been built in 1817 as someone's personal home, but because of its location between Boston and New Bedford, it took on other roles. After a while, it became a kind of rest stop where travelers would pay their tolls, feed their horses, and even have a bite for themselves before heading back out on the road. But Ruth and Kenneth had other ideas for their new business. It would be a restaurant, with Ruth as its head chef. She took care of all the recipes, too, both the main courses and the desserts, which wasn't a problem when the place first opened. They only had seven tables. But soon, word got out about some of her signature dishes. There was her seafoam salad ring made with lime green gelatin and her delicious lobster entrees. But it was her desserts that really kept people coming back. She made killer pies, the Boston cream and lemon meringue. There was also Indian pudding, a custard dish that dated back to New England's colonial days when the indigenous peoples first introduced colonists to corn. She eventually published a cookbook titled Ruth's Tried and True Recipes and also started feeding her new VIP customers, including U.S. Ambassador Joe Kennedy Sr., the father of future American president, John F. Kennedy. But aside from the pies and the puddings, there was one dessert that Ruth truly treasured, her cookies. You see, she was always trying to expand upon her existing confectionery offerings. The restaurant already sold a thin butterscotch cookie, which was served with ice cream. It was a fan favorite, but Ruth was unsatisfied. She wanted to give the people something more. So, around 1938, she and her assistant Sue started testing a new kind of cookie made with pecan drop cookie dough. The recipe was fairly basic, and Ruth wondered if she could bake different types of cookies using the same dough. She looked in her pantry for some baker's chocolate to drop into the mix and came up empty. Then she remembered she had been given some semi-sweet chocolate bars by Andrew Nestle of the Nestle Company. She chopped up one of the bars into tiny pieces and tossed it all into the dough, expecting the pieces to melt as it baked. Instead, the chocolate held its form. Ruth and Sue had just invented the chocolate chip cookie, and it was an instant hit, which meant Ruth was going to need a lot of chocolate. So she reached out to Nestle and worked out a special deal. They were allowed to print her cookie recipe on the packaging of their chocolate bars, and in return, she got free chocolate for life. Nestle even started making special chocolate chips just for baking cookies. And the company still prints Ruth's recipe on packages of their chips to this day. And it still bears the name of the restaurant that Ruth first sold her cookies at, the Toll House Inn in Whitman's, Massachusetts. Countless others have tried to improve upon that recipe over the years, adding in all sorts of other ingredients like toffee, caramel, and marshmallows. But none have ever come close to the ooey-gooey, chocolatey goodness of Ruth Wakefield's original Toll House Chocolate Chip Cookie. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. 
This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.